We're so happy to welcome Brad Campbell this morning um, as our guest speaker. Um, Brad grew up in Ruston, Louisiana. He retired from the Caddo schools after teaching middle school English at Caddo Middle Magnet and Uri Drive for 28 years. And he recently began a second career as a training coordinator for the Volunteers of America of North Louisiana. Um, in his spare time, he enjoys writing about growing up in the South, watching bittersweet movies on, next, on Netflix, and uh, practicing yoga, and traveling as much as possible with his fiance, Stephen. Um, they like to eat at locally owned restaurants, support local artists, and they keep up with former students who are organizing and resisting. We have one of those right here in our congregation, and we're very proud of them. Um, he's also been involved in LGBTQ advocacy and education via PACE and the North Louisiana Gay and Lesbian Film Festival. And I just want to say that thanks to PACE, we are the only city besides New Orleans in the whole state that has a fairness ordinance on the books. And not only for government, but now for private employers as well, or private businesses. And that's, that's, that's an incredible, I mean, Baton Rouge hasn't been able to do it. That's an incredible accomplishment. So I think, you know, that. <laughs> That deserves separate applause before we, you know, give big applause for Brad. But Brad and Stephen recently began refurbishing a mid-century modern home um, where they serve as can openers for Stella, their rescue boxer, and door openers for their two cats, Zuzu and Monkey. Will you please welcome Brad Campbell. First, say thank you for the music this morning. Um, it's been beautiful. Uh, Mo is Melissa here today? Melissa's the one. Okay. Oh, well, okay. All right. Well, Melissa's the one that invited me to speak, and uh, I know her through uh, Flirtalet, the, the magazine that she put together. And she told me, I, I was checking this morning about exactly what time I was supposed to be here because I wanted to make sure I was here on time. And I noticed that she said that um, some of the speakers in the past had been able to have some input into the music choice. And so I was, I was thrilled that the first thong, song was called Thorn in My Side because my, speak, my talk today is about a thorn in my flesh for a long time. And then also, of course, the over... Over the Rainbow. I had never heard that rendition by Chet Baker and Les Paul. I think uh, Chet, Chet Atkins, yes. Um, the only way it could have been better was if Judy Garland had sung it. But she, you know, I would have chosen some other songs I, I thought about this morning. I would have loved to have opened with um, Angels and Cowboys by George Michael. May he rest in peace. Um, and then before the, the speaker would be uh, Papa Don't Preach by Madonna. And then, of course, you've got to close out with Our Will Survive by Gloria Gaynor. And that is a lot about what I'm speaking about today is how I survived. Um, I remember so vividly my first experiences in church in Ruston. Uh, we always sat in the very same pew right next to the stained glass window that my parents had donated for the brand new sanctuary of the First Baptist Church of Ruston, Louisiana. And mom always instructed us to, whoever got out of Sunday school first, was to go and grab that pew. 
And she told us you bring your Sunday school book and you bring your Bible and you spread them out as far down the pew as you can so that you can hold it because she had to have room for her husband and her four handsome young sons in her own words. And one of those sons is here also. My brother Bruce is here also sitting with me. And his job when I was growing up was to make me laugh in church. And he never failed. So I'm probably not going to even lay eyes on him while I'm speaking today. Um, but from our, from our perch in that row, we could also see an even more beautiful stained glass window, which was over the baptistry. And it had been donated, I was told, by my grandparents. The backlighting sprinkled colored light over the choir loft, over the pastor, whom I sometimes confused at that young age with President John F. Kennedy. Because they were both young, charismatic, and strikingly handsome. Even at that young age, I tried to pay close attention to that man in the pulpit because he was supposed to have all the answers about God. And after all, I owed God something because here I was in this particular sanctuary and in this particular place. I distinctly remember thinking to myself, God must really love me. Look at where he put me. Of all the places in the world he could have placed me, I was living in the United States of America. I had learned all about those poor children in China and Africa in Sunday school. If we complained about our dinner at home or treatment, my mom would often say, those little children in China would love to have a meal like that. Now that worked on me. Some of my brothers would have said, well, if you've got a box, I'll put this in there. You can send it right to them. I just couldn't believe how fortunate I was. Uh, my parents loved me. My grandparents loved me. I was an American. I was in the right church. What could I have done to deserve this? And most Sundays it was customary, after the church service, we would go out to eat. And on one particular Sunday, we were leaving a restaurant and a man stopped my parents and he said to me, and what is your name, little boy? And I looked at him straight in the eye, according to my mom, and my answer was, my name is Precious. True story. I lived in that bubble of security for several years until elementary school. Then I was given a different name. It happened particularly when we played sports or when I often chose to play with the girls rather than the boys at recess. Sissy was my new name. When you say the word, it slithers. It's a sibilant word sort of like a snake slithering through the grass. But it wasn't as harsh as the next name I was given. Middle school was not so bad. I managed to keep a girlfriend for a couple of years. I was one of the popular kids for a while, but the small private school I attended was all about one thing in high school, sports. I, on the other hand, was known for two things, art and fashion. So I had nothing to offer on the field. My new name was not nearly as alliterative as Sissy. It was short and piercing, bad. A shiv of a word, something fashioned out of a blunt object and sharpened to a point. I heard that word almost every day of my junior year in high school. 
Meanwhile, I was still going to church, but I decided to find my own way. At 15, I told my mother I wasn't getting fed at First Baptist Church of, of Ruston, Louisiana, and she encouraged me to use my recently acquired license to drive to find somewhere that met my spiritual needs. I landed at Emmanuel Baptist Church, where my Pastor Markham preached what I considered a much more gospel or biblical gospel. I became the overachiever at that church. Uh, I was in the youth group, I was in the bus ministry, children's church, visitation of the sick and elderly, youth pastor for a day, Sunday school teacher. I was even nominated to be a deacon at one time. But the youth pastor pointed out that one of the stipulations of a deacon in the Bible was the husband of one wife. And I had no prospects. I could have pointed out to him that Paul instructed us that it was better not to marry, but I didn't push the point. I felt loved and appreciated at church, but school was still a place where I felt like a pariah. In college, I was lost in the vastness of a campus. I walked from one end of the campus to the other, watching my feet. Although I was invited to join the Sigma News, the goody two-shoes of the fraternity world, because of my reputation as a Christian, I turned them down after attending one rush party. However, another organization found me. I became involved with Campus Crusade for Christ. I was soon leading my own discipleship group and speaking at meetings. It was there that I met Mike, who would become my roommate and my best friend. I was what the members of Campus Crusade called a spiritual giant. They came to me for counseling and wisdom. I'll never forget the time one of my disciples asked me how I resisted sexual temptation with the girl I was dating at the time. What he didn't know was that it was quite easy. <laughs> she simply didn't have the right equipment. I live in the freshman dorm near a church in Ruston that keeps its doors open 24-7. On many a late night, I would exit that dorm and walk a block to that church. I would climb the stairs to the loft and pray. And the prayer was always the same. God, please deliver me from this thorn in my flesh. If you could pray the gay away, I'd have a patent on the process. Needless to say, it didn't work. It just got worse. When I graduated from college, I moved in with my best friend, Mike. Mike and I were practically inseparable. And of course, I fell in love with him. I ended up signing up for a missionary trip to China with him. But he ended up getting engaged and not accompanying me. I had to suffer through being the best man for the man of my dreams. When I returned from China, he invited me to live with, with him in Shreveport, where he had found the church we had been looking for. It was evangelistic and preached a biblical gospel. To make a long story short, that church ended up splitting three times. I was there for two of those divisions. Mike moved away, and I was left floundering. I didn't have a clue who I was. At the time, I was about 30 years old. I was involved in my first homosexual relationship, changing jobs, and struggling with anxiety and crippling depression. During one of my visits to see my parents in Ruston, my dad had given me a gun to protect myself in Shreveport. Although I didn't have any bullets, I would often take out the gun and practice shooting myself. Obviously, I no longer answered to the name Precious anymore. I was afraid to see a psychiatrist. Remember, this was probably 30 years ago. I was afraid that I would lose my job as a new teacher. 
uh, I also felt like I was throwing in the towel. I had been taught that if you needed help for something like this, you prayed or you got help from a pastor. I made a deal with God. If the psychiatrist worked, I wouldn't kill myself. If it didn't, I would buy the bullets. I called and spoke to the receptionist. She told me he was book solid. When I told her that I was suicidal, she wanted to check me into hospital. My answer was simple. I can't do that. I'm a teacher. I have to be at school tomorrow. She made a deal with me. If I could hold out for two weeks, she would work me in to see him. I agreed, and she kept her part of the bargain. The good doctor put me on Prozac and Xanax. The Xanax was temporary. Prozac was not. He also put me in touch with a good counselor, one of many I saw through the years. The Xanax got me through the next few days until the Prozac kicked in. Suddenly, I felt like I knew what sanity was. I was able to think rationally. Things that had seemed like life and death were no longer weighty. The combination of meds and counseling worked for me. Don't get me wrong, it wasn't easy. I was still, I was still fighting the gay part tooth and nail for years. Finally, <clears throat> I left the church. I thought it was the end of the road for me. I honestly felt like I would probably backslide into absolute hedonism. And to some degree, I did. For a while, the church was my TV. On Sunday mornings, I watched CBS Sunday Morning, which often renewed my belief in humanity. I did that this morning as well, and they never, they always satisfy. Great stories. And I also listened to Oprah's Super Soul Sunday, which introduced me to something called meditation. I began to meditate regularly. Nothing groundbreaking, more like listening to God instead of always doing all the talking. Then listening to God became listening for God. I learned the meaning of something Jesus had told the Pharisees, a group that I would have probably a leader, been a leader in, which I hadn't understood a long time ago. He told them, the kingdom of God is within you. All this time I had been looking for God in the beautifully stained glass light of a brand new sanctuary or in the words of men bathed in the light of those windows. I had looked for God in hours of praying away the gay in a church in Ruston. All that time I thought the names I had been called by those who hated me for no reason were God's names for me as well. So now I listen for God and the things that bring me joy. My fiance Stephen, a beautiful piece of art, the bittersweetness of music, our grateful and ungrateful pets, <laughs> the beauty of nature, like this behind me. Yesterday morning, I woke up wondering how in the world I came up with that name for myself when I was so young, precious. And how did I wander so far from that sense of worth and acceptance? Then I remembered a song I learned at church so long ago. Would you sing it with me? Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Um, 
Before I leave, I have one question for you, and I'd like you to answer out loud. What is your name? Your name is precious. Thank you very much.